Eve Harrow, Rejuvenation on the Land of Israel Network. I am in New York, and it's the 4th of July, so there's been a lot of noise here. It's almost like home, you know? There's like all these explosions, like, ah, I might as well be in Ashkelon, but it's really not funny, and I find myself like... It's not what it used to be, all these noises. It's definitely a little uh, Pavlovian reactions, I think, are happening here. Me and all the five-year-olds who are cowering and covering their ears, the poor kids. But uh, I had a very strange experience because I was actually with some family up in northern New York on um, Motei Shabbat on Saturday night, and they had the fireworks over the lake there. And, um, and I found myself starting to cry and singing the anthem, because I love this country, I really do. And my sense was like, oh my God, I don't know if this country's, how much longer it's going to continue. And I just love America. And I did not expect that kind of reaction. So anyway, uh, it's been a very interesting few days, personal and professional. And um, I woke up this morning to hearing that back at home in Tel Aviv, we were unfortunately subject to another act of terror. And uh, obviously, this one is in response to the fact that Israel is trying to stop terrorism in Janine. So somehow, you know, we always get blamed. But um, we have to keep doing that and just have to, you know, make sure that... um, that the bad guys don't get to run the streets as much as we possibly can. But as it happens in Israel, of course, it was a civilian who had a gun and knew how to use it, who stopped the incident. And that's really, I think, the difference between Israel and other places. Um, I'm going to Manhattan later in the day. I've lost count of the people who said, be careful. I said, I live in Gush Etzion. I live in Judea. Be careful. It's Manhattan. So I guess everywhere we have to have our antenna up. But in the meantime... um, we had a wonderful barbecue here last week in West Hempstead for When Israel Fund in the pouring rain. And, um, and I got to also spend a lot of time with somebody whom I like so much. You know, I'm sure all of you have met people in your lives that viscerally you can't stand. I have that, unfortunately. Met one of those this week also. And then there's someone who, like, the minute you meet them, you think, okay, if we weren't sisters in a former life, we were like besties because there's just this wonderful feeling. So that is who I am pleased to introduce to you today. My friend and former life something or other, uh, Rachel Pill, who's also very involved with One Israel Fund. And uh, we're going to start a women's division. So first of all, thank you so much for taking time out of your very hectic schedule and the barbecue that you're preparing for 4th of July to join me today on Rejuvenation. It is absolutely my pleasure, Eve. And I, I agree with you. It's like one of those moments when you meet somebody And it's just like we've always known each other. There is absolutely no doubt that we've always known each other. And I'm so excited that you're here. And I I look forward to it all the time. And we're going to see you next week in Israel, you know, with God's help. And I can't wait for that either. I'm I'm, so excited to, to come. So one of the things that we, you know, we've talked about over the last couple of years, because also you're really one of the people pushing for One Israel Fund to have a women's division. And I work with other organizations at Israel Bonds, Women's Division, Momentum, of course, which is like birthright for moms. And I love doing that. There's really something incredibly powerful about being with women. And it's for all different reasons. I mean, Israel Bonds, you know, does tremendous things for the infrastructure of Israel. Momentum is more of a personal journey for a lot of these women getting in touch with their Judaism. There's something missing in their lives. They want to reconnect or connect to begin with. And it's really, you know, as a, a woman, yes, I'm still identifying as a woman, everybody, um, and probably will for at least the foreseeable future. I'll let you know if not. No, but really, there's something, and of course, as the mother of daughters, there's something 
You know, I'm not, and I think you and I have probably discussed this, not in the feminist sense of modern day feminism, which I actually think has in some ways destroyed women. Absolutely. I agree with you. I think that there is such a power, there was such a koach in women that we were created that way. You know, God created us with a sixth sense, right? We call it the Bina Yaseira. We have a sixth sense. We have a certain part of us that sees life differently, that that experiences life differently. And there is a power in that. And there's there's an unbelievable energy that can be harnessed. But culturally and societally, women have been quieted. And we've been taught to be quiet. And we've been taught to be demure. Um, you know, in Yiddish, what's the word? Edel, mm-hmm. I think. Um, we've been taught to do that. And and I am not, it's interesting because people say to me, oh, you're such a feminist. I'm not a feminist in the modern day feminist, you know? I'm happy to let my husband make all the decisions in my life. I really <laughs> am. He can take care of everything. I'm a feminist in the word that women have to have a voice. That is what we we have it because we have a different voice and it's such a powerful voice. And it's a complement to the male voice. And when we're quieted, the male voice is there, but it also lacks the depth and the the layers that it has when women's voices are heard also. So for example, on I've been my husband and I've been privileged to be on two missions with one Israel Fund now. And how did I think of the women's division? Because I watched the women on those missions. And I watched as we went from community to community and we met people and we saw what was going on. And I watched the experience of the women and how many of us, yes, I was crying. I'm not embarrassed to say that I will cry at anything. My my soul likes to sweat just like my body does. And t- tears are the sweat of the soul. And so I, I'm happy to cry. And the experiences that the women were having, and for example, when we went to Machnagadi, right? We right. went in the Jordan Valley. Just as an aside, I was the guide on those missions, yes. and I put together those missions, and I included Absolutely. a lot of women that we were visiting and what they were doing. Correct. And we went to the to the preschool there. Mm-hmm. And as women, I saw us all looking around and saying, what can we do here? What can we do here? And so I, I pulled the women aside at the end, and I right. said, we all have a voice. We don't have to wait for the men to decide what we should do. They want to do security. They want to do a drone. I want to do toys or or ask the teachers what they need. And the women were so excited to have something that we did on our own. Mm-hmm. And we all had our money and we donated mm-hmm. our money. And it was so exciting. So I saw the power of the women's voice and complimenting the men's voice. Mm-hmm. But we, women need a voice. And that's what that's, that's my life's work. I mean, that's my mission in, in life. So the women's division, right? And, you know, Eve, it's not like you don't have a voice, right? <laughs> okay, so and it's a it's a voice that I look up to, I, I'm being very honest. And so I want a, a women's division. And it's something that we can do. And we can create projects that we want, but also that we're going to have a women's mission, God willing, this February, and it's going to be experiential in a way that the the couple's missions are different. Yeah. So this is going to be something that women can walk away with and feel that their voice has changed in a positive way forever. And that's that's the idea of the women's division. And it is to raise money and it is to do projects and it is to, but things that that women feel 
and that will change how girls hear themselves and see themselves in these communities. And that's mm-hmm. what I'm so excited about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding, especially about some of the more conservative, small C aspects of our society. That yes, there are situations where women are not given their voice. They can't do what they want to do. And we'll talk about that in a minute because that's some of what you do professionally. And, and or, God forbid, abused. I mean, those are really, that's the more serious end of the spectrum. But there's also um, a beauty in the fact that women do things only in front of women. There's a letting go. I mean, one of the one of the things that I'd gotten involved with was um, a dance studio in Itamar, way out in the middle of nowhere, where they, they only perform for women and girls. And somebody had said to me, like, well, that's ridiculous. And it shows, you know, that they don't really feel free. And I said, just come and see. And there were women there belly dancing, like women who never would perform in front of men and would never let go in front of someone who wasn't family or, you know, presumably their husband, who could let go because they were just in front of women. And it was a beautiful sight to see. And I think that sometimes people don't understand that within these conservative societies, and here I'm going to say Jewish and Muslim and Christian societies, where sometimes you see women very, very modestly dressed and you feel sorry for them, like, ah, uh, someone's forcing them into that. When you, and maybe, in cer- I'm sure in certain cases, that is what's happening. But in other cases, when you really sit, you get a chance to sit and talk, and because I live in the Middle East, I'm really surrounded, Druze women. I mean, there's a lot of women who do this by choice. They feel protected. They don't feel ogled and they you know and there's there's like a special side that is only left for the intimacy of their world with their husband so this is not you know as like the media would like to portray it and obviously hollywood and you know the more skin that shows the better but but there's a very different side of things that um i mean my my own thing is that it should be by choice that is my thing. If a woman should be able to dress how she wants to dress or act as she wants to, it should be by her choice and not by being forced, which gets us, of course, into your professional life. And uh, I, mean, I was talking to you the other day, I've been talking to you over the last couple of years um, about some of what you do as a trained social worker, but by now you're already way beyond that. Yeah, um, I'm doing this a very long time. My training is as a social worker. And actually, when I, when I started my career... Um, it was my, the job, my first job fell, you could say fell into my lap. I had two small babies and I was looking for something very local and they were starting a domestic abuse shelter in um, my neighborhood in Farakway. <clears throat> and the director saw me and said, oh, you just graduated social work school, huh? Want a job? And I'm like, okay, local? Sure. What the heck? And I, it, it was not coincidental at all. It was literally sent by God because this became my passion um, for the next 20 years. And the, my first phone call, there was a hotline um, in the office. I'll never forget. There was a red phone and it had a rotary dial, the whole thing. And, and, and the, the, the director said, that's the hotline. And so everybody has to take turns picking it up. So every this time, is in the religious Jewish community so or the, the time, community at large? There, no, it was the community at large. There was nothing in the religious community. This this was back in, you know, in 1990. There was nothing about domestic abuse in the Jewish community. Um, we didn't have Jewish men didn't abuse. Their wives. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Okay. Jewish men made the best husbands. They don't abuse. Mm-hmm. But I remember that the when that phone rang, every time that phone rang, I needed to go to the bathroom. I ran to get coffee. I was afraid to answer that, that phone. And it happened to be that one time there was nobody in the office. And again, sent from God. And I picked up the 
phone and it was a woman from the ultra orthodox community in Muncie who was desperate to get out with her five children who were being um, severely abused. Mm-hmm. And that began, that was it. It began from there. And, and I'm very, very, very proud of the work that has happened and the, the ability to educate people and Shalom Task Force, which is a, a hotline and education started from our work um, with the women in the community. And there is just there is just tremendous um, work that has been done. And so now it's not unusual to hear the words domestic abuse. And in fact, it has changed. It is not the same because we do premarital work and Shalom Task Force and other organizations educate girls in schools and they teach them beforehand what's a healthy relationship, what are the red flags that you should look for. So it's really changed, but it's about giving women a voice. And so my work has progressed from there because I no longer actively do domestic abuse work because I work in private practice and you don't, it doesn't belong in private practice. It really needs. Why why is that? Because I'm not available. If I'm in session and a woman's in crisis or if you need like a policeman, I mean, you need need an agency where people are on staff and if someone needs to go to court with her or if she needs to get to a shelter or it's not responsible to do. Mm -hmm. I have cases still that are long-term emotional abuse where people have chosen to stay and I, I, I'm, I work with them, but true domestic abuse needs agency um, coverage and needs the sophistication and training of people in the agency, whether it's for the children, for the woman, for the support, for the, for the money, for the, you know, programs, whatever it is. So I won't do that in, in my, in my practice, but I've moved on and I've done trauma training and I've done, um, somatic experiencing, which is mind body work and anything that helps women find their voice. Um, I work with a lot, I'm a breast cancer survivor. I work with a lot of breast cancer survivors, um, and helping them even, um, you know, find, find their life again and find intimacy and find joy in, in, in life. Um, and, and helping women in any which way, empower their voice. I work with women who are going through menopause a lot um, because that we tend to lose our voice during that time because we don't understand what in the world is happening and nobody understands what's happening. So that's also, so it's not only crisis work. I do trauma and crisis work. Mm-hmm. That's my training. So it's life cycle it's work life also. life cycle mm-hmm. and it's all about helping women understand it's okay to have your voice and your voice doesn't have to be loud and it doesn't have to be aggressive and it doesn't have to be, um, sh- well, shrill, but it also doesn't have to be attacking. It doesn't have to be contrary. It can be sweet and it can be kind and it can be respectful if you own it and if you believe that you're entitled to that voice. And the the compliment that happens in couples and in marriage when that happens is beautiful to watch. Have things gotten worse, like through COVID, some of these situations? COVID was really hard. Yeah. COVID, you know, I, I have to be honest, is that I know that there are studies and there are things that have been done to say that marriages were okay during COVID and lots of people got married during COVID and those couples were okay. I see differently. I yeah. see so many couples now. Um, and I would say half of my practice is couples work. Um, I do premarital and I do marital, but I would say that um, so many of the couples that got married during COVID had a extraordinarily difficult time. And 
a lot of them didn't make it. You know, they, they've chosen not to. Continue. I mean, why is that? Because they were thrown together for like days or weeks on end. There was no outlet. There was no social life. There was no going to work in the morning and I'll see you for so, dinner. Yes, that's all true. There was no structure. Mm-hmm. Also, remember, many of those couples dated during COVID or were engaged during COVID and had stressful experiences. Everybody talks about these beautiful backyard weddings and how special they were and everything else. You know, some of them were special and some of them were dreams that didn't happen. And for people that was really, really difficult. Um, And it was, it was family missing their, their most important life moment. Mm -hmm. And then these couples went into isolation, so to speak. And they were, it was really, really hard not having structure, being together all the time. They don't necessarily know each other that long or that well. And many of them um, were enamored with each other during COVID because they were dating on Zoom or they were dating by phone or they were, you know, sitting in a park. They didn't see each other in life experiences and life circumstances. None of that, none of it was natural. So there are those who have made it and the ones who have made it have done well but they've worked hard they've done the work and that's not that's a hard one these days you know a lot of couples aren't willing to put in the work we we, we're a generation of instant gratification and we're an you know i i it should happen now and it should be great and and you know oh that's that's boring now and so i want to move on or whatever it is the couples who have worked hard have done well and they make it but it, it was tough. COVID was really hard. So, you know, some of the popular TV shows these days tend to focus on the very ultra-Orthodox world, and usually and usually, it, it has a negative cast, at least some of the ones that I've watched. Um, but you were telling me the other day that some of the happiest couples you know are people who were set up, maybe they met each other two or three times before they got married, and you would think, this is just crazy. But you have found that because their expectations were different, some of them have some, you were telling me some of the happiest marriages yeah. and the most beautiful relationships you've ever seen. Yeah. Um, I, I would say that I've, I've worked for many years in the Hasidic community and in the ultra-Orthodox community. And yes, some of those relationships and marriages, you would never know because in public, they are very modest and they're not walking around holding hands and they're not with each other all the time and they're not walking, you know, arm in arm, but they have created such deep and meaningful and enjoyable, the ability to laugh together and to create that. But the community helps them. The, it is set up in a way to allow them time to get to know each other and to to not have responsibilities right away and to really spend time with each other. But the depth of these relationships and the beauty and the romance, like you would never think of looking at some of these Hasidic men in their full dress and garb. And these guys are so romantic. Yes. And they're creative and they're sweet and they're, they're just, they're just lovely. And it's private. It's Mm -hmm. very private. So nobody has to see it. They have, they, they're not looking. No posting on Facebook, my right, dearly darling wife. You're right, aging right. yourself, Facebook. Yeah, on Instagram okay. or TikTok. Okay, okay, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Trust me. I, my kids laugh all the time. Yeah. They're like, oh, you're on Facebook. Um, right, right. But that's the point. Yes. And so they don't need anybody to see it. It's about them. It's just about them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the women said to me, you know, that, um, when her husband goes to synagogue Friday night, she takes a nap. 
And I said, oh, that's really nice. She goes, well, I do it so that when he comes home, I'm awake and I'm up and we can enjoy the meal and we can have spend time together. And and I want to be able to do that for him. And it's just, it's just, it's a give and take that is really beautiful. And again, I understand there are marriages that are difficult in that community too. There are healthy marriages in every community and there are unhealthy marriages. But things that we don't see and preconceived notions that we have. And yet uh, I just I just love the couples that I've worked with from from the Hasidic community. Wow. So I would imagine though that you've had some pushback, like you said, when you first started. <laughs> when you first started, there's no such thing as domestic abuse in the religious community. And and it's not just the Jewish religious community. I hear it because I, you know, I guide people from all different kinds of communities. You know, oh no, this doesn't happen in the Catholic world, in the Protestant world, never. And but of course it's out there because people are people are people are people. So have you had people get angry with you and say, like, what are you doing? There's enough problems, there's enough people looking at us askance or even anti-Semitism, whatever you want. Why are you taking the dirty laundry. I mean, you're not airing it. We're, t- we're talking, but we're not mentioning any names. And I think this is really a subject, which is why I wanted to talk to you that resonates for a lot of people. My listeners come from all places in the world and all different walks of life. And this is, this is an unfortunately common problem. But did you, did you have in a, because, you know, the religious world tends to be a more insular world and really trying to keep the issues at home. So have you had people who've said to you, like, what are you doing? And it's not just domestic abuse. You were telling me about drug addiction and porn and alcoholism and gambling, and especially with the internet and with COVID, where, where all that stuff came into your house now. You know, it used to be you had to That's put the right. penthouse under your right. ma- under your mattress. At least when, now I'm really dating myself. Not say. about the penthouse. I'm just saying in general, when I was growing up, there, there was an internet, you know, so that stuff took some effort. And now it's all in your phone. It's right there. Right. So um, it's interesting that you're asking me that question, because we actually have never talked about this. But when I started in the really trying to work in the domestic abuse world and, and get things publicized, um, and to get the word out there and have people help, the only reason I did it is for education and have people help people who are suffering there was a lot of pushback. Um, you know, I there, there are people who you, if you ask, I am the most horrible person alive. There are, you know, there were rumors out there that I've been divorced. My husband left me many times and I'm happily married for many, many years, as you know. And He wouldn't um, dare leave you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there, there are people who have spread vicious rumors. In the beginning, people tried to have our ch- my, our children kicked out of yeshiva, out of school. Um, and we had tremendous, tremendous support. And I will always be grateful to the principals of our children's schools um, because they, they really protected and said, wow. not only will nobody ever chick- kick your children out of school, but we will take the children from the shelter into our schools. Um, and they were really, um, I, I have to shout out to to. Um, South Shore Yeshiva and and Tar Academy for Girls who did that and protected those children and protected my our children. Well, um, I really I had no idea when I asked you this question. And yeah. and and actually, um, somebody tried to kill me. That's, what? Yeah, to drive me off the road. Yeah. Um, and and it was taken care of. And thank God somebody saw and there was a police car um, on the Palisades Parkway because there's always a police car on the Palisades Parkway giving tickets. Thank God, because they tried to literally drive me off the road. Yeah. Wow. So you made some enemies doing this. I definitely this. made some enemies. And, and my father has always said to me, 
if you're making enemies, you're making change and God's proud. So that that's that's an incredible statement to make. I'm sure that gave you yes. Yes. you know, that kind yes. of push that you need. As they worried, but yes, they he, he always said, you know that when you go to sleep at night and when you when you, you know, um close your eyes that you have done well that day and you're not I wasn't ever trying to do anything wrong. And people my reputation is she breaks up marriages. She makes women strong and she breaks up marriages. Um, and the reality is, is that the marriages that should be healthy and strong, I am so proud of the work that that people have done in my office, because they have amazing marriages now. And the ones that didn't is because they came to me and everything was broken already. And a woman's allowed to have a voice. It's mm-hmm. okay. She's allowed. Did you ever think like, this is just too much? Uh, I, I, I'm not going to do this anymore? Lots of times, Mm -hmm. lots of times. Um, And every time I do, something will happen that, you know, a a former patient will call me and say, oh, thank you so much. We just had our first baby. And if it wasn't for you, we would, this would have never happened. Or, Mm -hmm. or I will get a woman, you know, um, with cancer who needs my help or something will occur that reminds me of why I do this every day. But yes, it's 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 taxing and it's exhausting and it's invigorating and it's exhilarating and it's it's a it's it's really from God. This is nothing I ever imagined myself doing. Ever 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 ever. If you would have told me when I was younger that I would be a therapist and that I would be trying to affect change in the community, I would have probably laughed in your face. Mm-hmm. And I have evolved and I have become a different person. And then and then having breast cancer and that journey, which was a very long, um, difficult journey, um, was also part of a change. And then it, it's just, it just, you know, you have to keep going. You want to keep moving and you want to keep moving forward and learn from each experience. That is really the very powerful message. And also there's no time to waste. Correct. There's no, there, there is no time to waste. I like to, I like to work hard. I like to have fun. I like mm-hmm. to play hard. I love, you know, children and grandchildren and entertaining. You see what's going on yeah. here in our house. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's always a party. So it's that, that's, it's really important. And that's part of this women's division. I want women to associate Israel and, and what's going on there with meaning, but also fun right. and also joy. People talk about Israel sometimes and they're like, oh, oh no, what's going on now? And I'm mm-hmm. like, hello, there's a million fun, crazy, wonderful things going on. Um, and we're coming, we're going next week with our oldest granddaughter. We're taking her for the first time. And so exciting, so exciting to see it through her eyes now. Mm-hmm. And to we have so much fun stuff planned, right? Yes, <laughs> That's what it's about. Mm-hmm. I want I want women to understand that have have that joy have that fun and share it with your spouses but if you if you have a spouse if you have a significant other but if you don't your voice matters right women are successful women are 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 out there women are working hard women are financially successful and like let's have a voice we don't have to be quieted mm-hmm. we don't yeah, I met somebody just last week. I'm going to mess this up. Jewish, global Jewish entrepreneurs, these women who have their own businesses are getting together to promote each other. They were in touch with me. They're going to have a mission to Israel in a few months. And they asked if I would be a part of that, so which exciting. is totally honored. Yeah, but there, there's, there's stuff happening. And there's it's really great happening. to see. And again, just to get back to that, not 
not as male wannabes, which is maybe my pet peeve. My listeners know about Eve's peeves. Every once in a while, something comes up. Not as we're trying to be men. We are trying to be fully women. Okay, which is different. It's not better. It's not worse. It's just different. It's a compliment. I, I believe it's a compliment. We're not supposed to be the same. God did not create us to be the same. We're our own being and we have our own powers and we have our own difficulties and we're supposed to be that. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I absolutely agree. I in no way male wannabes. Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. Mm -hmm. Because men are special as they are. I think we forget that also. We don't have to put them down, you know, to, in order to have a voice, we don't have to put men down. And that's what I feel has happened a lot in the world at large. And so men are amazing and they are wonderful and sometimes they're obtuse and sometimes they're difficult, just like we are, because sometimes we are difficult and hormonal and everything else, but we're wonderful too. Mm -hmm. We're allowed to have that. We don't have to, we don't have to hide that. Right. Well, from the very, very, very beginning of creation, that's that's exactly what the Tanakh says. You know, Ezra Konegdo, we're there together and building something together. Okay, it didn't go all that well in the Garden of Eden, so we don't necessarily have to take that as the paradigm classic. Yeah, it's kind of a dysfunctional family, but still. But you know what? The Book Mm -hmm. of Bereshit is the psychology handbook of our lives. Every relationship, every dynamic, every dysfunction is in there. And so if we just take a look at it and we understand that men in general want to be taken care of, and if we stop fighting that so hard, then we could have a voice. And so it's just, that's why we were created for that, but we're allowed to have our own voice. And in the Garden of Eden, that was taken away from us. And we've been fighting and working till now to to have it back, right? I mean, do you find, you know, you're a spiritual person, and I know you have a deep belief in feel Hashem. I mean, you've said this in the past few minutes, that, you know, coincidences that weren't coincidences and Hashem giving you strength. Is that part of your therapy? Or is that kind of like, leave that outside? And this is just about psychotherapy? So I could say the politically correct thing and the psychotherapy correct thing to say, to say I leave it outside. But I'm also comfortable enough to understand that I am a very spiritual person. I have a very, very close relationship with Hashem. And um, and no, it's a part of who I am. So that when I'm working with someone who has severe anxiety, or when I'm working with someone who is so scared of their next MRI or their next sonogram, um, we talk about picking a chapter of Tehillim of Psalms and that becomes their mindfulness meditation. So it's it's not we 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 I I mix them together because it is who I am. I see my work as a as a therapist as a total shlichut, a total I am a messenger of God. That's all that I am. So when somebody thanks me, I'm like, God put those words in my mouth, and He gave me the understanding to be able to help. And you know, somebody one of my patients will say, How do you remember every detail of my life? And I'm like clearly because God is in this room with us because I can't remember where I put, you know, my, my, my pocketbook, but I can remember this because that I'm doing his work. So yeah, there is no separating totally, but I'm not, I, I don't, my, my psychotherapy work has nothing to do with, I'm not judging. I'm not telling how somebody had to live. I am not, I'm not, um, expecting them to live in a way that they choose not to live. That has to stay out the door. 
but my spirituality and my belief and my my knowledge that God can be there with them in, in time when it's hard, yes, that comes into the room. I so totally relate to everything that you just said in a completely different sphere, but also that sense of this is much bigger than I am and just so grateful all the time right. for being able to do any kind of change whatsoever. Right. It's, uh, it's, really, it's really a blessing, but I think my listeners know that every single one of us has those abilities. You just have to find them and not try and be somebody else. Correct. Try and be who you are, whether you're a man or a woman, your find your voice. That's right. That's what finding your voice is about. And again, I have women who have become so powerful, who are the most soft-spoken, soft-spoken women, but it's still their voice. It doesn't have to be loud. Right. You know, I might be a little loud, but they don't, you don't have to be loud to have a voice. Mm-hmm. And, and it's interesting because people will always, you know, because people who know that I have fought hard in this lifetime to make change in the in the Jewish community will will challenge me at a Shabbat meal or they'll challenge me somewhere and they'll say, so what do you think? And I'm like, I'm just listening. It's okay. I don't need to have an opinion all the time. And that's part of like knowing your voice. We don't always have to have words. We don't have to have be loud. I'm okay sometimes just to listen, listen. and be. Because mm-hmm. listening is so much a part of having your own voice and confidence. So, you know, you mentioned before the people that felt threatened by you really to an extreme extent. But if you all also had people come to you, leaders of the community, rabbis, principals, mother, whatever it is, who've come to you and said, thank you so much, because we we saw the issues. We could, for whatever reason, we couldn't do anything about it. And your bravery and really getting it out there has, has changed the community to a great degree. Absolutely. And I'm so grateful to those people. And and. And and one of the most important influences in that way in my life was was Rabbi Tversky, Abraham mm-hmm. Tversky. I grew up literally at his knee. My parents, we I grew up in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. So we my parents, they were friends and and he had the the most unbelievable sense of humor. And when I think about the practical jokes that my father and the friends used to play on each other, it's just, it's an amazing thing. But he is somebody who changed the face oh of the community, um, mental health wise. And but not just the community, right? I mean, he had like world. Hell's the Angels yes, kind of bike rider, Absolutely. Harley Davidson bike riders who had drug issues or whatever issues, right. and he helped them. I mean, he just loved humanity. He loved humanity, and he was, talk about somebody who had a voice but was soft-spoken, mm-hmm. um, and he was just amazing. And anytime I would have a hard time or anytime um, somebody would, would give, be giving me a hard time, I would just call him. And he called me Rachie. And he used to say, Rachie, just call me, I'll take care of it. And he goes, don't listen. He said, do you think people wanted me to bring alcoholism and addiction into out into the world? Not, not, not a clue. Like what, what, what was happening? He said, just do what you need to do. Hashem will protect Hashem will guide you. And he goes, and then if you have a problem, you let me know. So I, and, and one of the things I was privileged to do with him, he wrote a book about domestic abuse in the Jewish community. Um, He wrote the first book and then his daughter-in-law, Lisa Tversky, who is really the expert in domestic abuse in the Jewish community, in my opinion, my Mm -hmm. humble opinion, um, wrote a second book um, many years later. But I was privileged to edit his book and to work with him on it. And he, he just, he, he made it okay. Like every time when you asked me, did I want to quit? Usually it was, he would give me the the strength and the chizuk to say, you know, like, it's going to be okay. Just keep doing what you need to do. Mm-hmm. 
Well, look, and I know uh, because I have a friend who's suffering from it, there's abuse going the other way also. It's not as uh, common, it's, it's, but, but their wives different. abuse. It, it's different. Um, abuse, the other, abuse from male to female is about power and control. Abuse from female to male is usually severe mental illness. It's a very different dynamic and it's treated differently and it needs to be treated differently because the, the male sense of responsibility to stay is different than the reason women stay. It's, it, it is different, but absolutely there is abuse the other way. Well, it sounds like you have your work cut out for you. So I hope yeah. you have strength for a long, long time. But I hope that there's also others, you know, the next generation who are also Which learning how is. to do this. Which yeah. there is. There is. There are so many incredible therapists out there. There is so much out there. You know, there are organizations like Nefesh International, which is training and, and networking. And there, there are, there are incredible therapists out there. I'm the old guard already. Mm -hmm. I'm already like what I used to look at people and think, oh my gosh, they're the old therapist. That's me now, you know? (laughs) So, so this is like, I'm in the sunset of my career, so to speak. I'm not out there fighting in that way anymore. Um, I'm, I'm thank God able and privileged to do my work and I work hard, but, um, but there's a generation following you that is pulling it all together. Absolutely. We've paved the way. Um, and people like Rabbi Tversky and and those of us who have brought these things out into the public Mm -hmm. and we've paved the way and now they deal with other issues, but yes, absolutely. There are are wonderful, amazing therapists out there and, and community workers and people who care. Um, and that's even with the women's division. Like I want to get not just the older generation. We want to inspire the younger generation to get involved and, And right. get to know, you know, what's out there and what's the possibility. So if someone's listening to this and wants to be in touch with you, you know, because something you said resonated, they've got something going on, going on in their own world, and maybe you know resources that they can tap, be it in Texas or in wherever they happen to be. Um, how do they email. do that? Email is the best way. Um, okay. And my email is rachelcsw at AOL. Yes, I'm old. Dot com. AOL? AOL. Wow. I, I'm still an AOL girl. Okay. Um, or grandmother, which, mm-hmm. whichever we call it. Mm-hmm. But yes, um, that's the best way to, to contact. Okay. Yeah, because in this very often, someone will contact me and then want to be in touch with my guests. But in this case, I think for privacy reasons, someone should just get directly right. in touch with you and not have to go through me. So that's why I asked. Okay, right. Rachel Pill, thank you for everything you do. And I hope yeah. that everything shuts down because everybody's fine and you don't need to okay. do any counseling anymore. Amen, amen, amen. Okay, that you can retire and just be bored. Uh, that would be amazing. All right, everybody, I've got I've to go. Um, Eve Harrow Rejuvenation on the Land of Visual Network. Thanks to, as usual, to Ben and to Tabitha and to all of you. And I hope wherever you are, and this is going to sound so hokey, let freedom ring. Take care, everybody, and goodbye for now. The Land of Israel Network congratulates our own Yishai Fleischer as being listed one of the top 40 global advocates for Israel online by JNS. Yishai Fleischer is the international spokesman for the Jewish community of Hebron and host of the weekly Yishai Fleischer Show right here on the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com.